0: You're listening to the World Rugby Podcast, where we'll check in across the globe on the back of another huge weekend. There for
1: Arden, now the lover flying it out to Conway! Andrew Conway, number four for Ireland, and that is that in terms of where this game is going to go. Oh, lovely ball Why knew why
0: What a ball! Moment of magic from Weber. Jason in front abby dow into some space and abby dow has a chance to stretch her legs she's got support to her right if she needs it she might not oh abby
1: dow take a bow a brilliant finish from the england flyer rohan de toy off contact front take for later here is
2: gets around josh they made it look so simple
0: Hello, I'm Sean Maloney, and we've got a rock-solid episode coming, kicking off with the man who made Squidge Rugby an online phenomenon. World Cup winner Daniel Waterman has the lowdown on the Six Nations. Super Sports South Africa lead commentator Matt Pearce carries us inside the Republic as the Stormers and Sharks stay unbeaten in Super Rugby. And we round out with Dallin Stanford, who's talking Ma'anonu, the Beast, Rennie Ranger, and the US. S A M L R. First up, though, your headline flyover. France and Ireland kept their winning records intact in the Six Nations with results over Italy and Wales. England put away Scotland. The English women are on track to repeat last year's Grand Slam thanks to Emily Scarrett in European Rugby Championship play. Belgium bounced back with a win over Russia. Georgia maintained their good form over Spain. Portugal, yet Portugal staying unbeaten with a win over Romania in super rugby just the Chiefs, Sharks, Stormers, and Brumbies stay perfect. While on the sevens front, World Rugby has announced a women's challenger series in Stellenbosch, South Africa, late next month. And this weekend it'll be the men's challenge series kicking off in Uruguay. Time now for our guests on the World Rugby Podcast. Our first guest this week on the World Rugby Podcast, Robbie Owen. Uh, Mr. Squidge Rugby himself, fella. How you doing? Yeah, alright. Thank you for having me. As you
2: said, you are the king of the different angle in
0: rugby, so it's an honour to speak to no, you. not at all, not at all. Hey, um, this is kind of cool, mate. And before we get into your look at the weekend's action from the Six Nations... I wanted to first go back to how this all came about. Where did you get the name from? What gave the idea? And when did it start snowballing?
2: So I basically, a couple of years ago, found myself mostly unemployed, um, I had a job I was working, at, sort of fell through, contract expired, whatever, and I accidentally ended uh, up in a job I really didn't enjoy. I was sent the interview by the job centre, and when I turned up, it turned out I was the only person that had come for the job, so I got it, even though I didn't want it. And so it was just sitting around in those, in it was delivery vans all day, I sort of wrote my first two videos in my head and used the money I'd made to buy new editing software, and I made the first two videos and thankfully it took off from there it all sort of it it, it all came out sitting in a van being bored
0: when one was day that? so when was that uh,
2: that was just over two years ago that was December 2017
0: now and one of the things that I think some of your viewers and subscribers maybe wouldn't probably get an entire appreciation around just because if you're not in tv chances are you don't have a true feel for what goes into one of those clips but how long does it take you to create okay let's Let's go with your half an hour World Cup final wrap, which for me was just such an awesome uh, bit of content and TV as well. Uh, How long did it take to create that piece of... The
2: entire week. Um, It went out on the Sunday, the World Cup final having been the the previous Saturday, and I basically started working on it about an hour after the final finished. I started going back through the game, watched it several times... And then I just spent a lot of time sat in pubs and cafes, redrafting it during the week, just so I was getting out of my flat. And in the moment I got something written, it then became. I, I used to work on it, it was about an hour and a half for every minute on screen. I've managed to get that down since. But have video on the final, because I wanted it to be the best it possibly could, because I knew this was kind of the big one, it went back up to that. So it was a lot of time. I dread to think, because I was <laughs> most nights going to bed about 3am, 2am. And then getting up at like 7, 8 the following morning and cracking back home with it. And it was basically eating all of my time. I just put an entire week into it. But every now and again, I go back to it because I think it was worth it. I think it actually came out really well. I feel like that was a week well spent.
0: It, uh, it amazes me as well the level of analysis that you managed to go into and the one that really jumped out at me from the World Cup final in particular because at the time, uh, I had Mark Williams next to me in the commentary box doing that game and I was like, mate, what about this? And that was, for me, it was almost the World Cup deciding moment where uh, South Africa fired that line out, ping it uh, one wide, then swing back the other way and set up Five, six guys in that pod to create that more, which then sucks out the penalty from England. Um, That takes a really keen eye from some. I'm not saying that I've got that keen eye, Martin Williams does, (laughs) but for you to identify that as well, what is your background in rugby and how have you become so attuned to explaining it in lay terms?
2: I just love rugby. And have watched it obsessively for most of my life. Um, you know, for the last fifteen years, say it has been every weekend. I've watched it. I've watched it as much as I can see. I've always wa- gone and watched your guy in Russia and whoever playing on the weekend when they are playing. So that that feeds into it. And then I, as I've, I've played a bit. i played a bit when I was a teenager. I wasn't very good. I I play touch these days just because I do enjoy it. But as I say, I, I'm not very good, and I'm quite a small man. It's not much of me so i'm not i'm not a man made for for, for physical contact but i then would always with wales's games in particular i would re-watch them and i'd go back through and i'd try and kick up on little thing i always kind of did that Me and my brother would do it, it as almost a tradition after each game we'd go back and re-watch them um and i've just started doing it for other teams since coming into since starting doing the youtube channel i've started looking at other side and the way you get a feel for something before, and I'd have an idea. Um, but it's just come from there. I think Quentin Tarantino said once he didn't go to film school, he went to films. You know, he just watched enough films that he got the education he would have from watching, from going to film school from paying that. So I didn't play at a high level. I didn't do any of that. But I just I feel like I watched enough rugby to make up for it.
0: I think you've definitely done that. What surprised you most about the uptake of your content online? I,
2: just the fact that it has been the sheer level of it. I thought there'd be some kind of niche audience for what I was doing. Uh, I felt like there was a gap in the market in terms. Of I've always wondered why no one was doing this on YouTube um, with rugby content. But I didn't think there'd be as big a gap as there was. Like inside a few months, I kind of passed the the loose target I set for myself by the World Cup of maybe figuring maybe if I got to ten, maybe twenty thousand subscribers, I'd be really happy with that. Um, I thought that was the side of the market because what I was doing wasn't the typical rugby coverage and because most of what you see with the best will in the world is aimed at middle-aged men because that makes up what you think is most of the rugby audience. Um, and I feel like what I've done is deliver something, hopefully, you know, not for me to say, but for younger and different crowds and crowds that aren't necessarily reading a lot of the stuff that's out there already the stuff isn't being aimed
0: at what are the subscribers up to now
2: i think it's one hundred sixteen
0: thousand. Oh, dude that's huge
2: yeah yeah it's it's significant it's it's a few it's and more people than i can fit in my living room
0: you're obviously doing bits and pieces through the six nations and what was your take on wales v island i've been back over at
2: the times now, and the more I look at it, it's strange because Ireland were just incredibly effective in what they tried to do. They didn't actually play that differently or that much um, as much as it felt at first, and actually, they just executed everything they did. Whereas Wales were a bit more back and forth for some of the decisions they made in defense, particularly, um, which were partly systematic and partly individual players making mistakes, felt quite. <laughs> they felt like things Gatland wouldn't have let happen, which is the thing that Wales have had disappointing results starting Dublin in the past. But it always felt like there was a plan in place, and that just fell apart on the day. Whereas I'm not going to say this is this is any doom and gloom thing, but it was a case of things not clicking yet. And it may be, you know, new coaches come in and try to change a lot very quickly. In a way, I don't think Andy has changed nearly as much. So yeah. I thought it was an interesting thing And it showed the two teams Despite normally being in the same place By having new coaches coming in Are in very different places
0: Okay England, Scotland The thing that kind of jumped out at me Around this game Obviously the horrendous uh, weather conditions And also there's a there seems to be a real uh, heightened sense of What would be the way to describe it. There's a, a bit of aggro maybe between those two sides Is that the kindest way of putting it Because it looked, it looked feisty In that part of the world across the weekend
2: Yeah that, that that's about fair. That's that's kind of how, how how the Calcutta Cup always goes, really. And really, anyone playing England, especially in the Six Nations, it becomes particularly aggro which I love. I love that kind of popping up and the gearing there. And I think especially when you're playing in those conditions and it is miserable, playing in those conditions and losing is the worst thing in the world. So it becomes all the more aggressive and all the more desperate. And that's kind of how Scotland felt, actually. They felt a bit desperate. They Again, things weren't clicking for them. That They don't seem to have a great deal of... They believe that they can win, but they don't necessarily believe that they can pull off the individual members to do it. You see, whenever they got to try scoring chances, they didn't... They looked like they were panicking. They didn't look like they were calm enough to execute them. Whereas England kind of got into the 10-meter line once, and they scored a try of second phase. And that was that. And then the rest of the game was, as you say, rain and fights and kicking, which...
0: Fine by me. Did you see enough around uh, England's performance to think that maybe they can uh, turn Ireland down the track and hope for France to have a result go against them? Uh,
2: Well, they've got Ireland in Twickenham, so I think they'd probably be favourites there. I do think, as you said, they've almost got that France game out of the system. So we'll see. I I think this England team are still a very good side. A lot of people wrote them off after one bad game. And if you look back on it, there's been... A few times under Eddie Jones, they've had one bad game and things have gone actually really quite badly for 80 minutes and he turned it around the following week. So I think that's well worth in England to come back and even if they can't catch France, still push for second place or possibly the title, depending on how France go from
0: here. Well, let's stay with Le Bleu, and they they managed to put a few points on the board. I'm taking. I'm guessing it wasn't as slippery and wet uh, in that part of the world across the weekend as it was through the UK, but France, way too good for Italy. No, no,
2: not at all, thankfully. Yeah, it was far nicer over in Paris. Uh, so, yeah, they, France played some really fun, lovely rugby, so did the in places. Uh, it was the two of them kind of just chucking it about a bit which was good especially after having seen the, the way the Scotland game went the previous day so yeah I think Really encouraging signs for both of them. France couldn't quite, as they couldn't in the second half against England, keep their attention up the whole time. And this might be the thing, especially from having this John Edwards defence come in, which is so demanding on the players. They need to be so ridiculously fit. It may be that they're... You see signs at the beginning of time. The fact that they've got the rest week now, so they can work on that, and they can hopefully refresh a bit. They did let Italy back in a bit, but they scored some really nice tries. They played some really nice rugby, and their half-backs are playing
0: incredibly well. Okay, so we've got a couple of weeks, break now before we swing back into action in the Six Nations. Uh, Who's your tip through two rounds to go on and take the title?
2: I was asked this just before the tournament started and I said France and then spent a couple of days thinking, why did I say say France? Why did I say a French grand slam? And after two weeks, I think actually I might be onto something there. you have got to go to Cardiff and Murrayfield, which are difficult places to go, but... I think they can do it. I think I've seen enough from this French side to set up that they will—they can win the Six Nations and then probably have an implosion somewhere in the next couple of years before getting back together by the World Cup.
0: <laughs> and who have you got uh, in the frame at the moment to be named player of the Six Nations?
2: It kind of seems like a difficult question. Then I remembered Anton DuPont exists and he's been... Just kind of incredible. He's been the best player on the pitch for me in both the games France have played. I mean, C.J. Shantz has been fantastic. He was man of the match in both violence games. Uh, there's a few players... Uh, Gregory for France as well. But Abdel DuPont has been sublime, to use a word I don't use very often. Um, he's been absolutely fantastic and done everything you could possibly want from a scrum up. He's made breaks, he's connected the play, um, he's run great support lines, he's kicked well, he's done literally everything. And he's still only 23. Uh, He's been fantastic. So he would be, for me, almost nailed on so far as the
0: tournament. Well, he's been fantastic through a couple of rounds. You've been fantastic on this podcast, Uh, Robbie. Let me know, what's the next vid that you're going to drop for your 160,000 subscribers on YouTube? Uh, I'm doing England-France.
2: Oh, no, sorry, not England-France. Yeah, I've jumped a few rounds. Um, England-Scotland. I'm going to do the Calcutta Cup next. So that is lined up.
0: I shall be working on that today. Oh, too good, mate. We'll let you get back to uh, your edit suite. But it has been awesome having you on the World Rugby Podcast. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, staying with the cream of the Northern Hemisphere, yeah, that's a perfect way to uh, bring in our next guest, World Cup winner, England International, Danielle Nolly waterman How are you doing?
3: I'm good, thank you. I'm very well. Uh, we seem to have survived the storm and uh, yeah, not too much of my garden furniture is blown away, so all good. It's been madness actually and uh, I think the, the women's game in particular got absolutely hammered um, from... Yeah, the the rain and the snow and the sleet. Um, I think we we thought that Murrayfield was bad for the men, but on on Monday it was just absolutely atrocious for the women.
0: <laughs> so they had to go next. They had to go a day later for that England Scotland game. It was played in an empty stadium because it was too dangerous. Is that right to have punters in <laughs> um, the stands?
3: Yes. So they were um, they were concerned about travelling fans to... Um, to get them to the ground in Scottsdale so they cancelled the fixture on, fr- on Sunday and um, moved it to Murrayfield the following day and because of the move um, they, um, they tend to do it behind closed doors because of the um, health and safety for travelling fans and also because to, f- to steward a um, stadium on a day's notice is probably not going to happen so yeah um, it, it's disappointing to not play in front of a crowd but at the same time obviously it's a good experience for the girls to to play in the National
0: Stadium. Okay, so let's stay with that as our first game to look over. England v Scotland. England are far too good in the end, putting 50 past Scotland and they remain on track to defend their title in the Six Nations.
3: Yeah, look, England, e- even though um, the, the weather was just something else and I've spoken to a few of the girls and they said it's literally the worst they've ever played in. Um, I just hated it. They they use water bottles, as hot water bottles, they're bringing them on to try and warm up their hands but um, fair play to the England back three. Um, all three of them got two tries a, a piece. Um, but I think for me up front, Zoe Allcroft, big second row, um, set the tone in terms of carries, work rate, and uh, yeah, they were just too powerful all around the park and, and then you've got the likes of Emily Scarrett still managing to kick goals in gale force winds and snow um, yeah it's pretty impressive and unfortunately although Scotland did um, put some good defensive sets together um, they just had such little territory in the attacking zone it's you know it was just virtually impossible for them to, to get anywhere close to the England try line Well
0: let's talk a little bit more about Emily Scarrett the reigning World Rugby 15s Player of the Year World Cup winner Alongside you back in 2014, and on the weekend became the all-time leading England points scorer. Give us a bit more of in, an insight into uh, what makes Skaz tick and what makes us such a good player.
3: Um, I think she's just collecting accolades at the moment, to be fair. But, um, you know, she is world class. Um, she is probably one of the quieter players on the team. She goes about her business. Um, nothing really ever phases her. Um, a real scholar of the game. In in terms of what she does off the field um, and the hard work she puts in. And, uh, yeah, in terms of her points, um, she is only two ahead of Katie Daly-McLean, so it'll be an interesting little tussle with them throughout the Six Nations to see whether either of them pip each other. But Skaz has got the kicking duties um, at the moment, and she's scoring tries for fun as well. So I, I can't see um, Katie really staying with her, but um, she's a wonderful player. And, um, yeah, it was it was a privilege to play along
0: alongside her for a lot of my career going along well so to Ireland who remain unbeaten they put away Wales in front of a decent looking crowd over there in Ireland at the weekend Yeah,
3: it was um, it, the first half was reasonably tight um, in terms of Wales staying in the game. Um, they actually had a lot of territory considering they were playing into a really strong win, um, But just their finishing and their like how clinical they were in terms of taking the opportunities was a little bit disappointing. Um, and then in the second half, Wales just had lost a lot of the game line. Um, but for me, Ireland um, the the front row stole the show. Um, not necessarily at set piece, um, but. Lindsay P, Kalina Maloney and um, Linda Dojang is uh, they were just outstanding um, I think everyone's got used to the name of Sarah Byrne and, and the damage that she does around the field with England but all three of them um, were just, yeah, they were they were unstoppable and Kalina Maloney actually got the uh, player of the match maybe because she's linked to uh, someone else's
0: surname <laughs> No chance, and then finally it was uh, France overturning their shot loss to Italy last year absolutely um, carving them up in the third and final game as well
3: yeah yeah You'd expect France in France to, to put away Italy, um, but fair play to them. I think one of the biggest um, skills that's lacking in in a lot of the teams, bar France and England, is um, a decent kick that's got a, You know, that's got the distance to to gain territory and put pressure on teams and also exit well. Um, but for Italy, Ragoni at ten, um, she kicked well and, and kept them probably closer to um to France and potentially they deserved. Um I think we do need to give a shout out to to Sara Barata. Um she scored the first try that Italy have scored in France in the Six Nations for 10 years. Wow. Um and it was an intercept from her own pretty much her own try line the whole way, um, she did hit quicksand about halfway, but so did the French, and she made it over the line. So yeah, um, I think it was good to see France back, bounce back um, from their loss against England the week before. Um, but for them, it's about consistency, and and I, uh, who who their head coach, she spoke about their consistency, um, and I think that that's something that for, for France to move forward and beco- like push for that um, that higher than third, fourth place um, in the world that's what they need to look at
0: so two rounds down a few to run I think I would be right in saying that you've got England locked away as champions after what you've seen
3: I mean, you can't really. The difficulty is, is in terms of world rankings, you had the top two teams going head to head at the start of the tournament, um, unfortunately. And it, you know, I think um, Ireland will will give England a bit of a run. Um, they've got some class players, in particular Bevan Parsons. She's 18. She's still at school. Um, she scored some wicked tries, and I think she'll challenge England. But yeah, I, I can't see any other team challenging them at the moment, um, especially when. You've got big kicking threats all over the field. You've got finishers that are powerful, footwork, um, you know, and, and forwards that just dominate collisions. So, yeah, they're 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 a big powerhouse this year. Um, I think where is going to be interesting is whether France last year they got knocked off and came third. Um, obviously, they've beaten Italy, who came second last year. Um, but I think it's that that third fourth spot um, which is the one that will be interesting, and I think. Um, Italy. Uh, I personally think it'll be between Italy and Ireland.
0: Well that is you done and dusted Nolly Waterman. We'll see you next in Vancouver at the Vancouver the Canada Sevens with your work as HSBC ambassador. Um, pack something warm Nolly. Pack something nice and warm <laughs> for the Coover. I will, don't you worry. Okay, now we swing our attention to Super Rugby and a man who is just all over it with his work with Super Sport in South Africa. A man who I last saw in the bowels of, was it Yokohama Stadium, Matt uh, Pearce? that where I caught you last at the World Cup?
1: Yeah, that was a memorable evening. I think uh, we caught a glimpse of each other at the Cape Town 7s as well. Yes. But uh, yeah, Yokohama was, was the big one. And, and And still, I think we're all feeding off the positive energy that South African rugby was able to create that night through the Springboks, and it, it certainly seems to have carried through into the
0: opening rounds. It has. Before we get to that, I remember seeing you at the World Rugby Awards the night after the World Cup final.
1: Yeah, it was just uh, an amazing occasion, but, but being with that Springbok team for the final week as they prepared, um, I, I found them to be almost surreally calm and uh, very focused very prepared uh, so The performance itself wasn't a shock, but you're right. It it was uh, just something very, very special for all of us.
0: Okay, and as you mentioned, that sort of form and that buzz has continued in a Super Rugby as well. And we have the Stormers for the moment who are the pace setters in Super Rugby yet to concede a point. Yeah, extraordinary, isn't it? I'm I'm not sure uh, if that's
1: ever been achieved back-to-back in Super Rugby. I know it was only the second time that the Hurricanes had ever been kept down to zero in the opening round. They were strangely off colour for me, Sean, in that that opening round. Uh, always difficult to travel for your first couple of weeks in the tournament, uh, but it was a, a little bit of a touchy affair that that opening game, and then the the North South derby. Uh, on Saturday, if I'm honest, I'm not sure it really lived up to the expectation. There were a lot of mistakes in that game, a lot of handling errors, a lot of penalties, a very stop-start affair. Uh, the Storm is doing enough to, to get their second consecutive win, but uh, I think importantly, as you mentioned, uh, the, the defence coach Norman Laker will be a very, very happy man after those opening two performances. I think what what stood out most. Uh, was their defiance of both the Hurricanes and the Bulls more than really what they did uh, with ball in hand. And perhaps one special mention, though, now also harking back to Rugby World Cup and the World Rugby Player of the Year, Peter steff game against the Hurricanes was his first since the Rugby World Cup final. Didn't play any of the warm-up games and just casually put in 80 minutes against the Hurricanes. And another against the Bulls this past Saturday I don't think he's got an offback no
0: he doesn't and it's a big big unit that cuts around the park as well in the form of uh, PDST uh, what about Sabello Senala? he grabbed a try as well for the Stormers at the weekend another favourite of ours
1: yeah well he's one that you know well isn't he short and it, you know it's, it's it's strange sometimes seeing those phenomenal blitzbox players uh, making their way into the 15-man game. We had Roscoe Speckman there uh, in the Colours of the Bulls on on Saturday. and He's done a great job. Dylan Sage out injured at the moment. Ruan Nell is playing for the Stormers. But Bella Sonata, you give him that much space, uh, you could see that try coming a mile off and a, an indication of what the Stormers can do with ball in hand. Uh, When the offload from Dylan Lades was made, it was Sanatla against Josh Strauss looming as the contest and Sanatla winning it easily. And it was a great moment in the game, certainly the highlight of the game for a a big crowd, Sean, that came in. It was uh, over 30,000 that came into Newlands on Saturday. And, and some of that, I think, is obviously down to the previous week's performance, but also that it's the last year that, that rugby's going to be played in Newlands. And is
0: there still that sort of sense of uh, excitement and buzz around the game in South Africa as well? Is the country still riding that high from November last year? Well, Without
1: any doubt. I mean, we saw it in the opening game against the Hurricanes. The crowd may not have been as big as the Bulls game, but there were some mitigating factors there. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever made it out to the Cape Town 10s but uh, that was on that weekend of the opening round of Super Rugby And also uh, one of the big horse racing events down in Cape Town So there was a bit of competition for, uh, for eyeballs on that first weekend of Super Rugby uh, but, but still a, a good positive vibe And when Colisi led out the Stormers in that first weekend it, it was certainly very special We also had a big tennis match in Cape Town this past weekend uh, The charity match uh, between Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal. And Sia Colisi again made his appearance in front of more than 50,000 people to p- present a Springbok jersey to to Roger Federer on the court, given that he's got a South African mum and, and was very supportive of the Springboks during the World Cup. So there's lots of little uh, things that add to to the lingering uh, positivity, uh, positivity mm-hmm. around World Cup. But I think it's also very important to, to talk about the performances that the Sharks have put in uh, the first two weeks of Super Rugby and particularly they won on Saturday down in Dunedin you know having travelled early in the campaign and to, to put a performance like that in um, you know after a, a, a Making the trip across to New Zealand, a lot of our teams uh, go to Australia first, which uh, gives them a little bit of a buffer. But to go all the way to New Zealand and and to perform the way they did was exceptional. That Sharks back line um, is one to watch for the season. What's
0: what's changed uh, across these sides to have them jump so hard and clean in 2020 as a side to previous years? I I think...
1: (laughs) couple of things. I think obviously that the positive energy that the Springboks have brought back to their franchises, you talk to anyone, um, it's had a major effect. We've also seen, and I'm sure you would have picked this up, Sean, you know, a number of more experienced uh, either former Springboks or certainly high profile former super rugby players coming back to South Africa. I mentioned Josh Strauss earlier. Mornay Steyn is back from France. So, Jean Ray is also back after a long stint overseas. Yanni Duplessis is back and playing tight head for the Lions. So, there's a lot of players sort of making their way back, probably to finish their careers in South Africa and also offering uh, their perspective to, to some of the local boys around. Uh, how special it is to play in South Africa. Uh, And I also think the fact that Rassi Erasmus rewarded form uh, in his selection leading up to World Cup and and indeed during the World Cup was just a positive signal to uh, all the the super rugby players in South Africa. You know, if you perform at this level, uh, you are going to get
0: your just reward. Speaking, of performing the Lions uh, were forced to do it tough against the Reds, uh, winning 27-20 in that one. Is there is there some hope for the Lions, or is it still a year of rebuilding for them?
1: I, I, I certainly think there is some hope. Um, there's, there's a lot of talent up in in Johannesburg, and indeed in Pretoria. You know, the, the Bulls have had a a bit of a false start. You know, with two losses, but again, both of those games away from home against two very good sides never easy to to start with two big derbies and and both of them being away from home but uh, in the case of the Bulls uh, the big concern is that they've gone um, 160 minutes of rugby without scoring a try and Mornay Steyn kicked all their points In their opener against the Sharks They came close in that one uh, But for a late try But uh, then kept out at Newlands on Saturday Mornay State didn't even have a kick at goal There was not a single goal kick lined up by the Bulls on on Saturday So their discipline let them down badly And and that's going to be a a key focus for them I think the Lions, uh, it was good for them to get a win under the belt It'll be a massive boost to their confidence Never easy to go to Argentina first up As they did for their first round um, I think we'll get a clear indication of, of really where they stand after this coming weekend. They play the Stormers at home in Johannesburg, so that's one to look forward
0: to. Okay, let's roll into your picks for this weekend. Lions v Stormers in Joburg. Which way is that one falling?
1: Oh, no, you're putting me on the spot as the Cape Tonian. I, I think the Stormers will have too much. They were disappointed with their performance uh, against the Bulls, uh, that they don't believe that they made uh, enough of their opportunities, and I would tend to concur with that. I think their pack uh, certainly would be too strong uh, for the Lions this weekend and, and will set them up for a
0: win. Uh, who else have we got this weekend in your part of the world that you guys will be across? We've got. Well, we,
1: we've actually only got the one game in South Africa this weekend, so uh, the, the Sharks are obviously travelling and the, the Bulls. Uh, have a bye and the stormers are, are facing the line. So the sharks are uh, still in New Zealand, and uh, so we'll be getting up early on Saturday morning to watch that
0: one. Might ever be matched around that one. And before I let you go, Maddie, uh, a quick word on Rossi Erasmus dropping these unbelievable videos. Via Twitter this week, behind the scenes look at the World Cup. And as you said, you, I mean, you are in close and tight with that group. But what an amazing approach from Rusty to be able to share that with uh, the broader rugby public. Yeah, I
1: think it's a sign of of more to come. Uh, You know, it's. A lot of people were scratching their heads and saying, well, Rassi's never been on Twitter, but then it was confirmed later in the day by the official account of the Springboks in South African rugby that it, it is indeed uh, Rassi, and, and obviously no one else would have had access to that kind of footage. But well, I think what what it talks to uh, is, is how he drilled down into the very basics of, of being a Springbok, and, and most pertinently, Um, how it had affected his life and some of the mistakes that he'd made. I I think the, the one that most people are talking about is the sense of entitlement that you get and that you should never ever take anything for granted which was one of the mistakes he made in his personal capacity and didn't want his group of players uh, to make the same mistake
0: uh well mate we'll keep an eye on those as they continue to drop and we'll keep our ears out for you around the world we love what you do out of south africa with your commentary and uh we'll keep our ears dialed in to you with super sport thanks johnny thanks for well last week we checked in with Matt Guido, former Wallaby to give us a rundown on everything that's playing out in the Japanese top league. He did a top job of doing that. And now we're going to bounce it a little further across the Pacific to catch up with what's playing out in the U.S. MLR, a tournament that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and a man that's been there from the outset, former USA Eagle, and now one of the voices of MLR, Dallas Stanford. How are you, fella?
4: Going well, big Shawnee. Great to hear from you, my friend, and... Uh... Well, I'll tell you what, things are really moving along nicely here in the States, man. We're in season three of professional rugby, and um, you know I've been here in the U.S. now 17 years or so, and it's it's probably the best place rugby has been in. Uh, we started with seven teams in 2018, we now have nine teams in 2019, and this year they've moved across to 12 teams, and they split them in conferences east and west, because you know the States is so massive, getting around is such an issue, so... That really looks to be the format for American sports, as you know. So there'll be an East Coast champion crowned in early uh, June and a West Coast champion. And those two will face off uh, for the title
1: this year. So it's going to be a cracker.
0: Okay, so what's the difference with this version of the MLR up against some of the previous incarnations of a semi-professional type setup up there in the States? What's the difference this time around?
4: Yeah, so this time around, it, it is set up based on Major League Soccer where each is own by by one or more people, but there and you can own more than one franchise. But initially, it starts out with you know the seven teams buying in, seven different groups that own that. And the reason why it failed in the past is that there was one owner of uh, pro rugby in the US who owned all the teams, um, and then things went south for that for that for that person, and then they folded completely. And so the sustainable model is there, of course, uh, having each team owned independently. And uh, you've seen so much excitement uh, here in the US that there are. Dallas is signed on in Los Angeles for next year, so already 14 teams. Um, And then they may take a break. Uh, They've got offers for another six to eight teams, the new commissioner said. So everybody kind of wants to buy in. And so this, this really is the real deal. And with big names being signed as well, Uh, Even though some of them, you know, maybe are slightly past their prime, it it really is a a kind of exciting thing for this to uh, go into the future.
0: Okay, before we get into the teams, let's go through some of those big names that you have the pleasure of calling week in, week out now. Uh, Take me from the top in no particular order. Who were some of the uh, biggest signings in that offseason?
4: Yes, well, literally one of the biggest ones uh, was Ma'anonu. And he was fantastic this past weekend, um, all-black legend. It's just such a nice buzz, right, because you've got these young kids in San Diego that are watching week in, week out. And they've seen this guy carve up at Rugby World Cups and for the All Blacks. And there he's playing for their team, um, you know. And so imagine being his teammates, too. There's a couple of 20-year-olds that grew up in in San Diego, played their, their young rugby there. And here they will Getting, you know, getting mentored by this this legend. So uh, he, he certainly is the biggest name for me. Um, yeah, the other big name from from France is uh, Mathieu Bastarao. Um, but now, unfortunately, Bastarao has taken, I suppose, a, a bit of the off season too seriously. Uh, he he's picked up must have been about at least fifty pounds. He was looking massive. <laughs>
0: hang on, hang on a second. Did you say fifteen pounds or five zero?
4: No, I think five zero, Shawnee. And I'll be generous. Here. I don't want look. I don't want to shred the guy. The guy's a legend. Um, but. His jersey, I mean, I must have sewed two jerseys together just to fit him. Uh, he, was, he was in the back line. He didn't get, unfortunately, many touches. But i tell you what, nobody would want to tackle this guy if he was running at the line. So he, he obviously is a big signing there from France. Uh, we've had um, uh, Rene Ranger from New Zealand as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's linked with the Colorado franchise. Um, he actually just flew in this week, so uh, he didn't he didn't get much game time. And there's a few other players that are still waiting on visas to come through. And then Adam Ashley Cooper from your neck of the woods, uh, he's not in the US yet, but he will be signing with the uh, with the, the Austin team as well. So and there's a there's a bunch of others that I haven't mentioned. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's 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 big. It's a big deal. Oh, and then of course we forgot about Carltonana's son. Yeah. Renato Tanana, the hot stepper himself. He yeah. played this weekend and some nice touches.
0: Okay, but you've also forgotten the man that he'll be playing alongside as well. World yes. Cup yes. winner. No, Don't I'm, I'm leave him out.
4: Purpose, I was going to bring him later. Um, obviously from South Africa, the, the beast. He didn't feature this weekend. And without him, his team crumbled at scrum time. So they'll be hoping he uh, he comes back soon. Tendai uh, Um He's going to be... I mean, he he's, he's probably the current biggest signing because obviously he just came off a rugby world cup one which you called Magnificently!
0: Oh, thank you, mate. No, you're too kind. Uh, all right. Well, so let's run through some of the games that you called across the weekend. I know you're busy, uh, and let's let's just get into some of these teams and what they're about as well. So let's just firstly bounce through some of those matches that you looked after.
4: Yeah. So I did. I did a game, the New York uh, rivalry match with the uh, uh, the New England Free Jacks. The Free Jacks are a brand new teams. So they're one of three new teams in in the league. And New York were semi-finalists last year. They have Ben Foden, uh, former England international, and a, a bunch of other brilliant players. So, you, so. All the pundits picked New York to win, rightly so. Uh, My wife, who's from the East Coast, from Boston, was like, no, no, New New England going to win it. And they came out of nowhere. They played in a neutral ground. where Obviously, we've had the USA 7s for a decade, Sam Boyd Stadium.
0: In Las Vegas.
4: In Las Vegas, that's right. The wind was howling. And and remember doing the 7s many years? Always this time of the year. Always
0: this time of the year to win it in Las Vegas. So go
4: go online or or tag this try. It's on YouTube already. Ben Foden is way back at fullback for New York. And um, tag leader guy from New England bombs up and up and under. It bounces two or three times. And then bounces up and hits the crossbar, no. which Ben Foden is like, "Mate, how do I even? Where's this going?" And boom, a New England player dives and scores. <laughs> it was the freakiest try I've ever seen. So, what do,
0: how am I finding that? Give me another shout on how to do that. That's the New, New England New. That's New England New York game from Vegas. ML. If I just search MLR, I'll be sweet. Yeah,
4: search MLR. I just put it actually on my page, okay. uh, the Rugby Corner. So okay. go to the Rugby Corner on YouTube. Find that try. It is. It, it's a classic. It's. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen anything like it. To be fair. Uh, they, so the New England. Put, so that's that's so New England,
0: New England Free Jacks uh, open with a win over New York. One of the other games as well, uh, San Diego, too good for Seattle.
4: That's right, yeah. So uh, Nonu was, was very impressed with midfield there. Um, they, uh, see, this is the final, this from last year. So that's why it was a highly anticipated fixture. It was in San Diego at Torero Stadium and uh, uh, too strong with the, with the local side. 33-24, they beat uh, the, um, the Seattle uh, 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 Seawolves. But the thing about the Seawolves is they're just a quality outfit. And the nice thing about these uh, these games is how it's set up, uh, Shawnee, is that in your conference, so your six-team conference, you'll play the other five teams home and away. So mm-hmm. they'll get a chance to rematch. But then you also play the other six teams once from the other conference. Okay. So it's going to be a long season. There are, what, 101 games coming up in the next four months, Good which job. is mammoth.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, so Nonu played well for the San Diego Legion. That's, they're the Legion, aren't they?
4: Yeah, San Diego Legion. Uh, mm. Legion referring to the old... Uh, 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 warriors I suppose um, They do have a couple of Cowboys at the ring there I don't know if They think it's from Zealand or whatever it is um, But a, a well supported Franchise uh, they're, they're definitely Fun to watch They've got a lot of Current USA Eagle Players in there also uh,
0: Austin v. Toronto And it's the Austin Am I right in saying That they're known As the Austin Gilgronies
4: Yes So Shawnee This team came out Of nowhere uh, a, a week before So they were the Austin elite For the for the first Couple of years uh, They went 0-16 Last year So not a good season and in the offseason, they changed their name to the Austin Herd, uh, which, you know, going with Texas, that kind of made sense. they changed their jersey colors as well. And then a week before Magic Rugby kicks off for 2020, out of nowhere, they have, a, a, you know, the familiar University of Texas Longhorns burnt orange kind of colors. They are called the Gilgronies out of nowhere. And the Gilgronie, apparently, which nobody knew what it was, is a soon-to-be Texas-style cocktail. Uh, with Australian owners, so I don't know. You may be able to get a
0: Gilgrony before I do. I believe the owner uh, of the Austin Gilgrony's surname starts G-I-L, so it's the perfect yes. transition into yes. Gil-
2: Gil- Gil- Gilcrest. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: very nice. Uh, what else you got, mate? I guess another big game was uh, Houston v Colorado, 21-12 There, Houston get up.
4: That's right. Yeah. So Colorado uh, had trouble at the set piece. Uh, Renner Ranger came off the bench. Um, he didn't. He didn't get. He didn't get to feature much. Uh, but Houston did well. as heavy catch so at home. Um, they're one of the good stories, though, I will say Magic Rugby. They're the second specific rugby-built stadium ever in the U.S., which is fantastic. So there's, you know, more money being being pumped into the game here, which is fantastic. Getting facilities, obviously, is a big deal. So Sabic had to do well at home. Um, it's kind of interesting because Texas, even though there is not a, a huge amount of players have gone on to rep- represent the U.S. from the Texas region, they technically next year will have three teams in Major League Rugby out of that whole region. Now, Texas, obviously, is massive. It's, you know... It's, Bigger, bigger than France, but uh, that, that's kind of interesting. They've got so many teams in that one area.
0: Okay, and which was the other big result that uh, caught you by surprise across the weekend?
4: So Rugby ATL, their team out of Atlanta, uh, mm-hmm. based at Life University, a famous rugby playing uh, college there in Georgia. They came from behind to beat the Utah Warriors 28-19, so a good start for them, I think, in this in this new season. Uh, people were sceptical, of course, about the, the, the new sides, how would they fare, obviously, in this league being their first game. But um, the East Coast, very strong. Um, the East Coast had, most of their sides had victories uh, this past weekend,
2: uh, which is very interesting. You
0: know? Okay, you mentioned that you've been associated with this uh, comp from the outset. You are the perfect man to ask through one round of action. And then looking ahead to the rest of the year, it's a massive year coming for MLR, the biggest yet. Uh, who do you think will be the division Champions. I don't need an overall champion; just the division champions uh, from the preseason. What played out in round one, and what's to come across the back end of the year?
4: Oh, Shawnee, I would say uh, San Diego Legion uh, front runners in the Western Conference, and New Orleans Nola Gold in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they will have some tough challenges. Both those sides, but I think uh, with with a lot of players, uh, you know, Cam Dolan, uh, Eagle number eight, scored three tries for Nola this week, and they're, they're a stack side as well. So. That's going to be interesting, um, but uh, turning my attention this weekend, we have Valentine's Day weekend, Shawnee. Eight eight of the teams, actually, are going to Las Vegas to play at sandboy Stadium this weekend. Because of with the weather on the East Coast you know, being so uh, horrific this time of year, they needed somewhere warm, somewhere neutral ground, of course, somewhere fun for the fans to come out and check it out. So that's what we'll be this weekend.
0: Down Sanford, we look forward to hearing your voice across the weekend. And then uh, not long from now, we'll hear your voice as well at the LA Sevens and Vancouver as well, buddy. Can't
4: wait, Shawnee. Thanks so much, you quacker
0: Okay, that is a wrap on our latest World Rugby podcast. No Six Nations this week, but there's plenty of other rugby kicking on around the world. So good luck to you and yours, and we'll see you all again, same time, same place next week.